Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 15-Minute Devotional. This is an online video and podcast series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. And for any viewers on Facebook and our YouTube channel and for listeners on Melvin Gaines's Faith Channel podcast. My name is Melvin Gaines. This program will continue to encourage viewers and listeners to get into God's Word and stay in God's Word as you learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this particular program, we're going to cover the uh, daily reading for Wednesday, August the 16th, 2023. Our church encourages participation in the two-year Bible reading plan, which allows for the reader to cover the entire Bible over a two-year period. Uh, We found that that's a much easier Bible plan to follow uh, than the one-year Bible plan because uh, if you just get a few hiccups in the one-year Bible plan, you wind up uh, finding that you're falling behind. Uh, But the two-year Bible plan is much more of a successful plan, in my opinion. Uh, In our devotional here, our program is going to present the passages as if you were reading the two-year Bible plan and the passages for today that we just discussed. And then I'm going to make some verbal notes about the content as we go along. Now, when you do your version of the 15-minute devotional, you're going to cover a 7- to 10-minute period of time in reading the Bible, and that would be followed by the last 5- to 8 minutes of time for reflection of the readings and then going into prayer. Um, This routine, if you follow the two-year plan, takes about 15 minutes a day, hence the name of the program, 15-Minute Devotional. We encourage all participants to follow this pattern as you develop the best habits for reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. And, of course, you can read more than 10 minutes a day if you desire to. But for those who have time issues, time constraints, a 15-minute devotional establishes good reading habits every day. And that's what's really most important. Amen? So we're going to go ahead and get started. Today's particular verses that we're going to be covering uh, for Wednesday, August the 16th, according to the chart, is Judges chapter 3, verses 1 to 31, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23, Psalm 93, verses 1 through 5, and Proverbs 21, verses 14 through 16. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and get started with today's devotional, but we're going to do so first and foremost with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you set aside for us now to go over your word and reflect upon it, read it, allow the Spirit to speak to us and provide wisdom, knowledge, and instruction. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. You have always reassured us through your word that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, we find it to be so valuable and so important, especially in today's world. We need you more than ever. Help us to be mindful of your word as we go through it. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Judges chapter 3. We're going to look at Judges 3, verses 1 through 31. And I'm going to uh, just mention very briefly here, just to get you up to speed, since we typically don't do this every day, we do this on Wednesdays and uh, just for the middle of the week. Uh, for, For clarity here, we're in the part of Judges where... This is after, um, you know, you, as we all know, Moses passed the baton over to Joshua to take over the headship of the nation of Israel. And, um, but Joshua wasn't given that responsibility. And this is right after, not long after he died, 
uh, that you read about at the end of um, the book of Joshua, as also uh, mentioned in the book of Judges in the first, within the first couple of chapters. But now we're in chapter 3. And what we've got here as we go into Judges chapter 3, we're going to see some things that the Lord is doing because he's dealing with people who are disobedient. The Israelites are disobedient. They're not really following the, the, the law, the word that has been provided to them over and over again uh, by the, world's, the rules that Moses put forth and the reminders that Joshua gave as well too. And so now here we are where the Lord is going to be speaking and dealing with his people and, and understand something. He loves his people. He loves his people even though they continue to be disobedient to him. And he is going to start teaching his people now through these circumstances. Let's start with Judges chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to cover the whole chapter. Um, uh, Judges, Judges chapter 3. Let's start with verse 1. These are the nations that the Lord left in the hand left in the land, excuse me, to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. These are the nations, the Philistines, these are the nations, the Philistines, those living under the five Philistine rulers, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. Verse 4, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons, and the Israelites served their gods. Verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. And the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan Resathaim of Aram Naharim. And the Israelites served Cushan Resathaim for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Canaz. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Resathaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Canaz, died. Verse 12. Once again the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms, the city of Palms, excuse me. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to dis deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, 
Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute, but when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. Verse 26, while the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Syrah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Verse 31. After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. All right, that's Judges chapter 3. That's all of chapter 3, verses 1 through 31. And we have to see something here that's very interesting when we look at what happened in this particular chapter, you'll notice that the Lord is still trying to interact and deal with the Israelites, but he is especially dealing with a generation of Israelites who had not had experience regarding wars or or any participation in any such thing. But now he was trying to teach them uh, essentially how to go to war and, if necessary, defend themselves. And so that's where he allowed these nations to be in their existence but he was still trying to test the israelites to see who is going to be the obedient one who is going to be the one that's going to do what's necessary and as we find out when we look in, in judge six they still went ahead and intermarried with all those uh different uh, uh peoples that they were living amongst them and so they were very evil they were disobedient to god's word they were disobedient to what was being said and so we see the raising up now of judges, right? Othniel being the first one, which we had mentioned in a previous study that Othniel would be the first judge that we are aware of here uh, in the book of Judges. And just based upon the information here, all we have is the information that he is the uh, son of Caleb's younger brother, Kanaz, that there's a relationship with Caleb, but a pretty ordinary man that God raised up. And yet here he was. And so... Because of what had happened, and the spirit had occupied um, uh, Othniel, and he did what he was supposed to do, and so there was peace in the land. And then, but they continued to be disobedient, and so now we see what what happened with Eglon being raised up 
um, and he was the one who was going to uh, help take back the land uh, from uh, the people, uh, the people who had uh, also uh, put them into captivity. Now, the thing that's mentioned about Ehud is he's left-handed, and typically, what happens apparently when you uh, when you are fortified, you'll you'll carry your your sword or your dagger. Uh, on your left hip because most people were right-handed and so when people were checking you out to see if you were armed they would look on the left side but uh, Eglin kept uh, kept his uh, sword on the right-hand side and so he was uh, ob- obviously able to get before the king undetected with any weapon whatsoever and then we had the what happened with uh, when he surprised the king with the sword and because the king was so fat he, he just left the sword in him um, it's uh, really interesting how this is written and depicted here. Uh, you can go back over that and look at it yourself. But at the end of the day, he was, uh, other than that, a very ordinary person who was uh, called by God to be the judge over Israel as well, too, and managed to rescue and, and attack the Moabites and have them uh, killed. And then we have a brief mention about Shamgar um, also rescuing Israel. Uh, and used 600 Philistines to uh, kill them with an ox goad, which is a uh, an ordinary instrument. The point I'm making here with this chapter, we see how God has raised up three people who are very uh, ordinary by nature. They were not spectacular. They were not necessarily, I would call, uh, great leaders, except for the fact that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work that they were doing. And I think it's a reminder for all of us when we talk about our churches and you know, when we ask for someone to step up to uh, be involved in the church, participate in the church, God just calls for ordinary people sometimes to step up and do it. He's not looking for the most extraordinary people. He just wants people. He just wants people to step up on his behalf and do things. And uh, for what it was worth, the Israelites back then, there was no real clear-cut leader, and but God raised up some people to take that responsibility and fulfill the role for the nation of Israel. And he's just looking for the same thing from us too. We, It's nice to have someone who is an eloquent speaker. It's nice to have someone who invokes leadership skills. But at the end of the day, God calls for all of us to uh, come under his lordship and just allow him to work through us as necessary to, to get the job done fascinating study for this chapter i invite you to go and look at that on your own uh, as well too let's take a look now move on to luke chapter 22 luke 22 and we're going to cover verses 14 through 23 luke 22 verses 14 through 23 and now this is um essentially as we look at this uh, uh, part of luke 22 uh, this is essentially how uh, Jesus is preparing and is involved with the Last Supper with uh, his disciples. And he is communicating with them as to what's going to happen and what is happening. Uh, Judas is present at this as well, too, the one who betrays him. But let's go through the passage, Luke chapter 22. Let's look at verses 14 through 23. And this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Uh, For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
Verse 17, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Verse 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Now, interestingly enough, when we look at this passage, it's a very brief passage, but essentially it is the institution of the Lord's Supper. And what we need to see here is that Jesus is laying out to us what we practice uh, when it comes to our first Sundays at our church is communion. And the very nature of the practice is the uh, the breaking of the bread um, and ask, giving thanks for it. Um, the cup of wine, of course, is represented by grape juice, uh, but that's essentially uh, has to do about Jesus giving his body, uh, Jesus making a covenant about uh, what he did, shedding his blood uh, for us for the remission of sin. And that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating what we had, uh, what he did for us and the commitment that he has made to us about how uh, we have a covenant with him that because we believe in him, we have eternal life. And, and so this is something that we look forward to eventually having this reunion with Jesus Christ once again, uh, where we will be able to uh, have a dinner with him, have a, a meal with him, and recognize that he indeed is Lord, a King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's what we recognize today. Uh, because of how we view Jesus. But he also mentions very briefly here at the end, in verses 21 through 23, uh, about the man who's going to betray him, who was there in uh, there at the dinner as well, too. And that account is also found in, in, in the book of John as well, too, um, to reiterate that. Uh, I was going to see if I could find that really quick. It is... John chapter 13, verses 26 through 30. That's where you'll see that account. We won't go to that. You can read that on your own. But at the end of the day, verse 23 is interesting. The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Now, you have to look at this for what it is. Of course, they're still learning all about who Jesus is. And even some of the words that Jesus was speaking here was going over their heads. But who would ever betray Jesus? Well, if we really think about this very carefully, all of us would betray Jesus or could betray Jesus at any any given moment because we we don't trust him enough to stay obedient to him. We won't be faithful to him. He is always faithful to us, but we struggle with being faithful to Jesus. And I think we have to always come back and remember that those questions can be asked about who would do such a thing. And sometimes you need to look right in the mirror and say, you know what, I might just do that because... I haven't been as faithful as I could have been. Uh, I've been fleshly in my actions. I haven't lived in such a manner where I've honored Christ the way I should have. So it's a question that you can ask, but um, you may not like the answer sometimes. I think it's really important for us to come back and look at what it is to be faithful to Jesus and not betray him, not to, not to embarrass him, 
right? You're you're living in such a manner where you're honoring Jesus, but you want to be faithful, but you don't want to embarrass him uh, by making some sort of a negative testimony on his behalf. So uh, trust me, there's plenty of things in this world where we as believers have to really make sure that we're stepping up to our responsibility of being faithful to Jesus because there aren't many of us. There are only a few of us. And the world needs to see examples of people, uh, believers who are faithful and remain true to God's word and remain consistent as well, too. So I just want you to keep that in mind. I, uh, this is something that, trust me, in, in, in my position and for what I'm involved in, I am very conscious of making sure that I don't embarrass my Lord. I want to do whatever I can to uh, remain faithful to him. And so I'm just speaking for me. And I want you to take uh, those words and internalize what you want to do for Jesus as well, too, in that area. Okay, let's move to Psalm 93. Psalm 93. Psalm 93 is a very brief psalm. It's only five verses, and we're going to read all of Psalm 93, verses 1 through 5. Um, And it is essentially, uh, it is a praise, a psalm of praise. Uh, Let's read the passage, Psalm 93, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1, the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Your throne, O Lord, has stood from time immemorial. You yourself are from the everlasting past. The floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. The floods have lifted their pounding waves. Verse 4. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. Your royal laws cannot be changed. You reign, O Lord. Your reign, O Lord, is holy forever and ever. Amen and amen. And... I love this psalm because it actually reminds me of a a conference I was at last week uh, in Columbus for the Christian and Missionary Alliance for the the national conference called Resonate 2023. And what we did at Resonate, honestly, it really was a great way for for me and my lovely bride to connect with uh, a number of people in the alliance who are licensed, who are pursuing ordination and consecration and guess what we spent most of our time doing during that conference we had dinner on monday night and then went to a praise session uh praise session with music and and song and tuesday morning we would get up and have breakfast and then we would go to a praise and worship session and we had dinner on on uh tuesday night then a praise and worship session praise and worship on wednesday morning praise and worship on wednesday night Praise and worship on Thursday morning. The conference closed about 12 noon on Thursday. But the point is, is that we were able to really get deeply into the emotional aspect of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by giving him praise because he truly is the one in control. He truly is Lord. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who is the Lord of our lives. And we were able to spend time uh, singing and giving him praise and that really it should be the attitude and the mentality of all of us who recognize the goodness of God, what he has done for you, 
from where he brought you from to where you are today, he's worthy of our praise. And I think that we can't do it enough. And guess what's going to happen when we're in glory? We're going to be giving him praise night and day uh, because of his goodness, because of where he indeed he kept his promises. And he's going to keep his promise that we will be with him in glory. And it's worthy of recognizing that in spite of everything going on in the world today, you know, if you're, you don't have to go very far to know that there's a lot of trouble in this world and there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, uh, a lot of people who are really having a hard time, that that suffering, if they, if they just trust in Jesus Christ, will no longer be suffering in glory with him. He will be the one who is uh, indeed in fellowship with us, and we recognize that Jehovah indeed reigns. He is the one who reigns. And that he has the victory over Satan. He has the victory over anything that is in opposition to him. There is nothing that uh, he has not been defeated. He will never be defeated. He is always going to be victorious because he has the victory over sin and death because of what he did on the cross for us. That's reason alone to give him praise. Amen. Okay, let's go to Proverbs 21 verses 14 through 16 again this is the what would conclude the reading for today for August the 16th Proverbs 21 verses 14 through 16 and I want you to see here as we go into this very key passages okay verse 14 a secret gift calms anger. A bribe under the table <laughs> pacifies fury. <laughs> Verse 15, justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. The person who strays from common sense will end up in the company of the dead. Okay. So this passage, first of all, um, uh, we it's interesting. We're, we're really talking about something that's very truthful, even though... Uh, uh, putting something under the table is not necessarily looked upon as being uh, uh, necessarily a good thing, but sometimes if it means getting an enemy off your case, uh, that's what apparently was being taught here uh, to those individuals who have some, a situation like this. But let, let's look at this thing about the secret gift in verse 14. And it was pointed out in my studies, I was looking at this about, remember when um, Jacob was returning home uh, after his years in Haran, he knew he had to face Esau for the first time. And this was after he had tricked him out of his birthright so and his blessing. So, of course, uh, Jacob was just trying to do whatever he could to pacify Esau. So he sent gifts ahead of him. And he didn't have to do that because God had already taken care of it, right? He had already uh, addressed this issue. Um, uh, J. Vernon McGee points this out in his particular commentary. But we have to understand that... Um, Yes, it, you can pacify anger by providing the gifts, but sometimes we have to come back and trust what Jesus Christ uh, would have for all people involved here. What does Christ want us to do? Forgive for any transgressions. Forgive, understanding that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. We need to be forgiving. We need to make sure that we understand it as well, too. Now, we also know that we operate in the real world, don't we? And we recognize that. Sometimes we need to make sure that we're doing what we can to always live in peace and go in peace and make sure that what we are doing is sharing and spreading the message of peace. Uh, we do so in such a way where 
if someone takes offense, they do so on their own, right? But we need to live in such a manner where we are being obedient to the Father, obedient uh, as far as sharing the gospel, sharing the truth. And, of course, when we talk about justice, um, another interesting point, verse 15, justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. The person who strays from common sense will end up in the company of the dead. Now, J. Vernon McGee makes a great comment that made me think of something very important here. Um, he makes a statement, It is my understanding that God is saying here that you cannot rehabilitate criminals. They need to be regenerated. Um, these fellows need the word of God. In the Shawshank Redemption, um, Red, the character who's played by Morgan Freeman, uh, went a few times uh, before the parole board about getting released uh, early because he essentially had a life sentence for, for murder. And in the last episode of this, within the movie, where he went uh, before the parole board, he was asked the question, do you feel you have been rehabilitated? And he said, rehabilitated? That's just a made-up word. It's a made-up word by politicians or other people. I don't think there's any such thing. Um, it's just a word that's been created. And in that way, Red was right when he answered that question. Rehabilitation, uh, it really comes more to what does the word of God do in your life? What has the word of God done for you when it comes to dying to self and living for Christ or putting off the old and living the new? You had to be regenerated. You had to be uh, made into a place where you ha are gradually being sanctified day after day because of the word of Jesus Christ. You are being regenerated, and I really believe that that is a great statement that's been made. Um, it just I was just a coincidence that I actually saw clips from that movie. It had been many years since I had seen it, but he actually made the statement, rehabilitation? No. Regeneration? It makes perfect sense. We are regenerated by the Word of God. We need to keep going into our prisons and teaching our people, um, people who are in prison, about the goodness of God, being regenerated by the word, because only the spirit, only God can do this regeneration. Um, in this world of sin and prominent sin, even people who come out of jail wind up back going back into jail. Why? Because they don't have anywhere else to go. They don't know what else to do. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust in him, you are being changed. Uh, right before the Lord, and perhaps people can see that change in you as well, too. And that's what we always have to count on. Um, we need to make sure that we are uh, always allowing the Lord, through his word, to regenerate us, to bring us to a place where we readily acknowledge that we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and living in such a manner where the words follow our actions. The actions follow our words. Amen. So, very important lesson for today, and I thank you for allowing me to indulge a little bit with that. But we appreciate you giving the time every day to the Word of God. You can't grow in Christ if you're not in His Word each day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this devotional time. Thank you for your teaching and what the understanding that you give to us through your Word. And thank you for the Spirit who speaks to us as we go. And, Lord, we just thank you for the wisdom that you've given us. We pray now, Lord, for you to continue to speak to us day after day as we stay focused on your word and what you would have us to do with it. 
Lord, we want to proclaim the gospel before all the nations, all the people that we come in contact with. Lord, help us within our circle, our sphere of influence, that we may speak your truth and bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of 15-Minute Devotional. We appreciate you being here. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time.